Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning out there on Facebook. Hey, who, who, just, who just yelled? All right, yeah. Woo, I need some of that. I need some of that. All right, well, welcome. Welcome, Facebook Live. We're so excited you are joining us this morning. We're excited about sharing with you. How many of you are sluggish? You ate too much because of Thanksgiving and you're still eating turkey. How many of you still have 10 pounds left of turkey in your refrigerator or your freezer? Raise your hand. You guys all ate it all? Okay. How many of you guys don't have the energy to raise your hand? Yeah, there you go. There's some of them over there. Okay. I can see that because either we eat too much turkey or we're just relaxed too much for a couple of days and we just don't want to get out anymore. But we're glad that you're with us this morning. I'm trying to give you guys a little bit of energy this morning like I often do. Well, so we are in our last week of our stewardship sermon series entitled in blank we trust, which each week we were filling in the blank. This week we are going to fill in the blank in God's treasure we trust. Money matters. And it does because without, without commenting about money, we often say that money as Christians, we can see that as being something that's negative. But we're hoping that by sharing with you that there's a positive element to money. Like we've been sharing and showing you guys some money for the last couple of weeks. Obviously, this isn't my money, but it's all God's money. And what we're going to talk about this week is about what do we do with God's money? Is it really his, ours? We hope that today we'll be able to touch on that. Um, and, and the question is, are we rich as Americans or throughout the world. Some years ago, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a book written in the whole of the gospel. And the whole in the gospel, what was being written by a gentleman, by Richard Stearns, he, he wrote about the perspective of how wealthy we are in America in comparison to the world and what do we do with the money that we have and how do we reach those who are less fortunate, who are oppressed and poor. But he did highlight something in his book that I want to share with you that was 10 years ago but it still stands true to today. So let me just ask the question, and if you were to ask it personally yourself as I am about to, am I rich? Well, let me just read a couple of things to determine that as we assess that. You got $2,200. In this world, you are rich. Assets, not cash, of $2,200 per adult place a person in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest people. You have 61,000 in assets, you are among the richest 10% of the adults in the world. If you earn 25,000 or more annually, now this is 10 years ago, but let's up that to about 35, 40, you are in the top 10% of the world's income earners. If you have any money saved, a hobby that requires some equipment or supplies, a variety of clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. You might say, I don't feel like it, but you are. If you earn more than 50000 annually, let's up that to seventy-five today, it's 50, you are in the top 1% of the world's income earners. Now, if you have more than 500000 in assets, you are part of the richest 1% of the world, which stands true to even today. It even starts at 450. United States 
household income percentage from a CNN Money article states this. Top 50%, 55,000. Okay, top 50%. The top 25% are 97,000 in a family income. That's for two people, three people, whoever's working in the household. 160,000, you're at 10% of the richest people in the United States. 220, you're at 5%. And then, of course, 1%, as I mentioned, 450,000 or more. Now, when we understand that, whether you're at any level, whether to the world or the United States, many of us would not categorize ourselves as rich people, but yet we are. Here in America, we have so many resources. I shared this again a couple of weeks ago. My son said, Dad, that's not that much money. It's about $1,100 in my hand. But I'll tell you, though, it isn't that much money today because if you think about it, it can't carry you too far to what you would dream for. But the question is always this, though. In light of money, in light of Christianity, in light of who we are in Jesus Christ, we talked about last week, we talked about godliness, we talked about the importance because godliness is established in Jesus Christ. That's the theme of 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at it again. And when you're looking at 1 Timothy and godliness, you have to understand that we are bought with a price. We are, we are redeemed with the blood of Christ. We are to do the works in which God has called us to do. And God is satisfied when we take what is money and ultimately use it for his honor and his glory. Now, I talked about last week how it was the now and the present and now. Like, if you're talking about the here and now, if we lived on that and thought this was all of our money, then sure, you just keep going this. Money, 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 money. And you just keep doing it. You keep counting saying, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's all mine. And it's all, you know, you sit there. But in a democracy, you would say that. But as Christians, we live in a theocracy. See, in, in a democracy, it's easy to just say, it's all mine. But in a theocracy, then it changes the perspective. It changes how we see money. Because as I just said, if you're bought with a price, chosen by the blood of Christ, servants of the most high God, then now the mentality changes. Because now we're his. And so the money is no longer ours. It's his. And as we think about it, we look at money, then the question is, what are we doing with his money. Rennie Alcorn in the book, The Treasure Principle, has one of his first principles, and he says this, God owns everything, and we are his money managers. Now, that's not just the treasure principle. It's not just God's treasure, but it's a treasure that it's a mentality change because everything we think in a democracy, we're thinking it's all mine. My name is written on my car, but, you know, the lien holder really owns it. My name is written on the house, but the lien holder really owns it. And so anything that you buy cashed out or if you put a credit card and you pay it out, it's really not ours because... As it's said in 1 Timothy 6, 7, that we can't take it with us. I can't take my drills. I can't take my tools. I can't take my car. can't take my hobbies. I can't take anything with me. Once I go, it's gone. It's over. I'm leaving. Leaving on the next train. Don't know when I'll. And you won't be back again. See, that's the whole thing. We won't be back. So if the mentality's changed and this is no longer mine, and I become a steward and a manager, then I have to ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with your money? Now, some of you might say, wait a minute, are you saying that I can't 
use money for anything in my life? Well, no, I mean, you can go and spend some money for this. You can spend some money for that. You can spend some money for this. I can get a little of this and a little of that. But the question is, what are you doing with this? What are you buying? You can put it away for retirement. You can put away a couple for the kids. Okay? Because, you know, it should be more than your retirement, right? But is that the first thing? You can buy a little some toys, but what are you doing? That's why it's important for us to recognize that the treasure is all his. See, I entitled this sermon, Making Dollars and Cents, meaning it should make sense that we as Christians, if we're bought with a price, redeemed and chosen and appointed, and we're his money manager, he owns it all, then what makes sense? If it's his treasure... What makes sense to do with what he wants us to do? So then I asked the question, how do we use God's treasure? And that's what Paul was saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So here's a couple of things I want to share with you today. If it's God's treasure, what makes sense? Well, it makes sense when we are, number one, benefiting others before ourselves. Benefiting others before ourselves. Now, before I get to 1 Timothy 6, 18, if you have your Bibles with you, you have your phone there, you could just pick it out. You could see that at this point, you can looking at Timothy. Timothy verse, verse 17. 1 Timothy verse 17. And as you're looking at it, it says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So as we look at this first part before we get into 18, he's talking obviously to the false teachers. He's talking to Timothy to try to command them who are Christians not to fall into the traps of the form of godliness that we talked about last week because the false teachers were falling into this trap and misleading others too. So when we think of the word rich and we think about the present age that he was talking about then, he's commanding them as we could even today in our present age with Christians, not to be haughty. Now, it's not the word conceited or puffed up, not the same word that we talked about someone who would be mentally ill if they were conceited and puffed up. But this word haughty just means to be proud. Because when you have money, you start to say, yes, I have this money. It's all mine, 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 and I can do what I want. And you start to feel the sense of power and the sense of emotion and saying, wow, I could actually manipulate people to do what I want with all this money and that I become important. But he's telling them, don't be haughty. Don't think it's yours. It's not. If you're bought with a price, it's God's. And it's easy to say intellectually, but so challenging emotionally, because when we get our eyes set on it, we think it's ours. And so he says to set their hopes not on the uncertainty of riches, meaning the possessions, the materialism, it's uncertain, but he's saying place it on God. See, the two temptations that often people have when they're rich is pride and also the trust in money. This is a sense of security. A sense that if I had more money, I could do this and I could do that. And I can do more of this and more of that. But God is saying, what's your first thought when you see money? When you see the shade of green with lots of numbers on it, what do you think about? You see, this is what God is saying. He's saying, 
You can't trust in the uncertainty, but you can trust in God who is certain. He puts on their setting their hopes. The word hope is in the perfect tense, which simply means this, that they were set in the riches, that person, that person who was a false teacher, someone who's following him. They were set. But Paul was telling Timothy and charging and commanding to set your minds on who? On God. Why? Because the word hope means to look forward to something with the implication of confidence in something coming to pass. And so they were, what he was saying was hope in God because putting their confidence that God, who promises he will do something, he will fulfill it. So when he's telling them to hope in Christ, to set their hopes on Christ and the one who will return, then we need to focus on Jesus. When we focus on Jesus, we're focusing on godliness. When we focus on godliness, then the perspective of money changes because it's no longer mine but his. And see, so it's a mentality that has to be reversed and transformed in our minds, but it doesn't come naturally because the first thing we do, we lean on money. And then he goes on to say, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, which means you can have joy in knowing that he provides for us. He supplies everything we need. But God, who gives us riches, wants us to do more than just enjoy what we have. He wants us to enjoy by giving it to others. Because, right, it's his, not ours. So when you look at this verse in 1 Timothy 6, 8, now we start to look at a, a couple of important statements here that are true that we have to follow. It says they are to do good. They are to do good. Because in God's nature, he is good. And in God's nature, in essence, he gives. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, they need to do good. The word good means to do that which benefits others. So the greatest act of God's love is doing something that benefits another when they don't deserve it. Watch that now. When they don't deserve it. It's easy to do good to someone who does good to you. But when someone does not and they've mistreated you, God's calling you and I to do good to that person. You ever notice when we try to give, you see someone who has that sign who says, please feed me and my entire family who haven't had food in months and months and months. Could be true. You know, those people, you look them up, they're making good money. But they have there, and they're holding their, their sign up. What's the first thing, I don't know, what goes through your mind? What goes through my mind is like, okay, if I give to that person, what are they going to do with that money? Are they going to use it for their own pleasure? Are they going to use it to buy some more beer or wine or whatever or some kind of substance that for their addiction purposes? Or is it just not my job to do that and I just give? And see, we rationalize, we struggle, we question. And it's natural, it's fair to question those things. But God is saying, what do we give toward? Who do we give toward? And what do we do with the money in which God gives us? But initially what we do is we struggle. And whether the people deserve it or not, we have to give because it's in the nature of who God is. In Acts 14, 17, when Paul, Barnabas, were there in Lystra, he was highlighting to these people who were following false gods, and Paul was making a witness about the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the creator, and he was telling them in verse 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving. He did good by giving. The only use of this word in the New Testament, he did good by giving. You, what? Reigns from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And it wasn't in question whether they deserved it or not. He just said, good 
by giving. That's the nature of God. And if you and I were bought with a price, then we have to ask the question, what is God calling us to do? If we are in Christ, we need to do good works by giving. Good works by giving. That's what he's calling us to do. And he's saying in the nature of it all, that's what it's manifested. That's generosity. That's even in what he's saying here in Mark 10, 45, when Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrificially, as a servant, giving his life. The word for there is a preposition in the Greek that means in place of, instead of, uber. And it's the idea that he gave his life. So it's, he, it's good, and he gives. He gives, and it's good. So that's how, so we have to make sense of that, that if God is good and he gives, so do you and I. And that makes sense. Number two, God's treasure makes sense when we are being rich in good works. Being rich in good works. Now, we understand, we've seen this passage, being rich in good works is so important. In fact, the idea of the word rich in the Greek is to be plentifully supplied with something. Be plentifully supplied with something, with God's riches and giving his riches to others. That's what it's all about. See, that's what he's saying in the scriptures. It's an investment. An investment means to give out of your wealth and my wealth for others. That is pleasing to God. That's what he's saying here in the scriptures. Giving, giving that which is God's. You know, in a story in a book um, entitled Giving the Good Life by Randy Alcorn, which I love his stories, his books, because he's lived this and he shares with others. He was a pastor at one time, now has started a new ministry some years ago about challenging people in the churches to give but not with the intention of receiving like material things, but with the intention to give for good works for the purpose of giving good works. There's a story about a young, young girl, a 10-year-old. I want to share this with you. While shopping online for a bike as a present for her dad, 10-year-old Riley and her mom followed a video link about an organization that provides specially engineered bicycles for individuals with disabilities. Seeing the happy faces of people riding the bikes, Riley told her mom, I'm going to buy a bike for one of those kids. Riley's mom loved her daughter's heart, but the cost of just one special bike was a few thousand dollars. Two days later, Riley showed her mom a letter she written explaining how the bikes could help those in need and requesting donations. After Riley sent the letter to 75 relatives and friends, money started pouring in. Word spread as a Christmas neared, more donations came. Oh, Christmas, on Christmas, Riley donned a Santa, Santa hat and delivered bicycles to three girls. 13-year-old Ava, who has spina bifida. 15-year-old Jenna, who has cerebral palsy. And in four-year-old Rose, who has a rare genetic disorder. This is the best Christmas I have ever had, Riley declared. She ultimately raised enough to pay for seven bikes, each given to a grateful recipient. Riley says that when she rides her bicycle with one of the girls she gave a bike to, I like to go fast, get sweaty, and feel the breeze. So does Ava. She pumps her arms, not her feet, but she really flies. Riley Plans to continue raising funds for bicycles every Christmas. 
She says, I want kids to feel the wind in their face. I mean, that's an amazing investment. She didn't allow anyone to question or doubt. She didn't allow doubt to consume her. She didn't think that it would be impossible. She just said, I want to invest in blessing someone else. And she did it. And God abundantly gave her more and more through people. People were willing to give, and God blessed it. Why? Why is that the case? Because God gives. God gives to you and I. It even says that Jesus had to be poor so we could become rich. I mean, that's the concept. It says here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, we are rich. We have so much money. We are wealthy. We have so much money to give. Too often people say, well, you know what? Um, I don't have the money. I'll wait till God gives it. Just give. Just give and let God multiply because he will. I can guarantee you with my life, he will. We have seen it in my life. I have seen and heard so many stories. You have seen it. That when we give, we just give and we say, Lord, it's yours anyway. I'll give it back. It's yours. And God will multiply it. Why? Not for you and me, but he'll multiply it so that others can be blessed. It's not about God will meet our need. He always does. He always takes care of us. If he takes care of those who are not his, how much more for those who are his? God will meet our need. We can't hold on to our money because often it takes ownership of us. And so it's important to understand what Jesus did. And we have to be giving. We don't wait for that. Martin Luther said this, the famous Reformation um, theologian said this, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, still I possess. Isn't that awesome? I mean, God is calling us to do with his treasure as he sees fit. It's God's treasure and it makes sense to give because when we give, God is honored and blessed. The third thing is that God's treasure makes sense when we are blessing others until it hurts. We're blessing others until it hurts. Again, going back to 1 Timothy 6, 18, he goes on to say this, to be generous and ready to share. Those two words come together. Being generous is being liberal with what you have, and sharing is koinonia. And the Greek word, that means to give all that you have. I mean, even in chapter 2 of Acts, they gave their possessions to one another. But God is telling the people of God to give to others outside of Christ, even so. To share with the wealth that he has given to you and I. But we're going to be held accountable to God to say, what have we done with what he's given us? What has he truly given us? And that's why it's understandable that it is God. See, in a theocratic government... We have to understand it's all his, and if it's all his, we are his managers. And if we are his managers, then we have to understand that we have to give back. You know, in, in, in his book, again, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn laid out some roadblocks. Why is it that the people of God struggle to give at times? Why is it that we see all the stats, 2.5% of people are giving to churches, and people are not giving to causes beyond themselves? He said these are some of them. One is possession obsession. We think we own our possessions but they own us. <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. Number two is the tyranny of things. He mentioned that he got a free TV from someone, 
But then he realized, you know what, i got to buy cable now because to get the free TV, to watch the TV, I have to buy the cable. So i got to spend a monthly for the cable. Then he said, boy, I need some new speakers. So he went out and he bought some new speakers. And then he goes, man, if I have this new cable and I have this speaker and i got this free TV that someone gave me, I've got to get a reclining chair with it. So he got a nice reclining chair with it. And as he got that reclining chair and he's laying back, I hope he got one with the cup holder because it's nice to have that. And you have your snacks near you and you're watching TV. And all of a sudden he's like, well, now if I got the free TV and I got the cable and I'm spending money every month with it and, and for it. And then all of a sudden I have the new speakers and I have a reclining chair. I got to devote some time in front of that TV. And so he devotes many hours in front of the TV. What he realizes that the very thing that was given to him for free started to own him. <laughs> Because now he started spending money in order to get these things. And some of you are saying, what's wrong with that? Well, I don't see anything wrong with that because I have my TV, I have my cable. And you know what? I've got some speakers. And then also I have a reclining chair that I love. I still, it's an old one, but I enjoy it. It's comfortable. It's got my imprint in there. It's, I sink in nice with my body and all. And it feels good. And this afternoon when I leave here and you guys are enjoying lunch, I'm going to go and take a nap. So I'm all there, relaxed. It's all good. But he said he spent more, most of it just watching caused him to do something he didn't have to do before. He could have used his time a little more wiser. Nothing wrong with it, but wiser. And so he was trying to hang out at the tyranny of things. You buy something, and you have to buy more. I see that with my tools. I buy one tool, got to get this other tool, got to get that. Before you know it, I got every tool. I'm just sitting there going, I know I got that tool. I know I got that tool, and they're just all bunched up. And I'm looking for the tools because I know I bought that one time when I was in the business. But the tyranny of things. Lastly, he said, chasing the wind. Sometimes we're just chasing the wind, trying to find what else we could have under our roof. He said, what are you investing in? Are you investing in riches? Where will that get us? And I appreciate that. You know, here's a comment from Jim Elliott, the famous missionary who died serving the Lord. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So true. So true. We spend most of our time thinking, how can we gain some more extra money instead of saying, okay, God, enough's enough. If you had a broker and he stated to you, you need to invest in a certain stock, guaranteeing that you will make 20 times its value in the next 10 years. Would you invest in the stock? Wives, would you say to your husband, hey, get on there, learn how to buy some stocks here. What is the guarantee it will do what your broker recommends? One word, COVID. That'll just change everything, right? I mean, that'll change everything. You can invest in anything and then something can happen and just take that stock and just make it twirl into so many different directions. Yet when we buy shares... And invest in the kingdom of God, what will be the dividend? I think it will be like a person putting $1,000 away in a bank. 20 years later, the interest accrued to $10 million or more. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, I don't even think it's possible. But all things are possible with God. But the whole thing is that when you're investing in eternity, investing in being rich in good works, investing in the kingdom of God, that's what it's likened to. You're investing a whole bit of money that's the value is not even touchable. It's unlimited what the value could be. It's eternal. And as eternal is important, it means that we want to bless others. It's not about us. 
See, that's why it's important for us to gather and realize that when we treasure God and share our treasure with others, we treasure up a good foundation for the future, and that makes good sense. That makes good sense. In fact, that's what Paul says here. He says, thus, storing up treasure for themselves when you are to do good and be good and, or be rich in good works or sharing or being generous, then you're storing up treasure for them. He says, yourselves, for yourselves and themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, eternal life. He's highlighting that. Storing up treasure is what Jesus spoke about in Matthew. He says you want to store up things which are treasure in heaven, not the things where there's moths or rust, but those things that last forever. You can't make love on earth last forever, but God's love will last forever. You know, and, and you take a hold of it. The word to take hold means to, to make it your own. So when you're given, you're given, you're given, you're enjoying it. It's no longer out of duty. You want to give because it blesses God and it blesses others. And you just keep on giving. And you just say it becomes natural, becomes part of who you are. Your mentality changes. The treasure that is God's is a treasure mentality where you say, I just want to give. So when you get money, you get extra money. You say, you know, Lord, it's all yours anyway. So let me just, how can we give? What do we do with the extra money that we have? You know, in fact, when you have debt, it's God's. You know, if your washing machine goes out, it's God's washing machine. If your car goes out, it's cars, God's car. If your house burns down, it's God's house. you got to understand that that's a different mentality because he owns it. He bought you with a price through his son, Jesus Christ. If you and I could see that mentality change, all of a sudden now we become money managers and saying, God, what do you want me to do with your money? When Joy and I noticed that our children were getting a little bit older, I said, uh-oh, cha-ching, cha-ching, insurance, insurance, insurance. And then I called my insurance agent to imagine what it was going to cost. It was going to cost 60 to 70% more than what we were paying. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, where am I going to come up with this money? The Lord said, you're not coming up with the money. I got this. I said, that's right, Lord, it's yours. And we prayed and we prayed every day. I lifted, lifted it up to the Lord. Lord, I need two cars, and I don't know how in the world you're going to do this. Oh, and he did. And we were struggling. And he provided because it was his debt, not mine. See, that's a mentality change. You might say, oh, well, that's irresponsible. No, <laughs> it's not irresponsible. It's his. You understand? It's not irresponsible. Oh, you're just copping out. No. No, it's his. It's not mine. I'm supposed to manage it. It's not mine. I have seen this for 32 years, and God is continually changing my perspective on money. 32 years in the Lord, and I still see it changing. Because every time I see a little bit of money, I'm like, my eyes start to get a little bit bigger. I'm like, Dad, what could I do with this money? And the Lord's like, remember, our money, right? My money, yes, Lord. Your money, not mine. That's a mentality that has to change. Another story, South African pastor stood in line at a convenience store in New Orleans and noticed a family who didn't have enough to pay for their few items. He touched the father on the shoulder and asked him not to turn around, then handed him, just slipped him some money to pay his bill. Nine years later, that same pastor was in New Orleans again as a guest speaker. Afterward, a man walked up to him and shared how he had come to know Christ. 
Years ago, he and his wife and their child were completely destitute. Intending to take their lives together, they drove to a cliff. But they decided they wanted to give their child one last meal before they all died. Standing in the store line, he realized the items for the meal cost more than they had. The man behind him said, please take the money from his hand. And he says, but do not turn around. Then he said, Jesus loves you. They drove back to the cliff and wept for hours before driving away. They couldn't go through with the suicide. The next Sunday, they attended a church displaying a Jesus loves you sign. Nearly a decade later, the man told the South African pastor that when he heard him speak that day, he immediately recognized his distinctive voice and accent. Through a small act of kindness in that store, in the words, Jesus loves you, God used that pastor to save three lives and draw the family to a church where they surrendered their lives to Christ. See, that's what it means to hear the voice of God and give. Because he knew that he said, I'm going to bless this family right now. He had no idea. The pastor had no idea what God was doing. All he did was was obedient to say, here it is. I'm going to give them money. The Holy Spirit told him to give them money. And here God used it to save a family. These are stories that happen all around the world. And we have to understand that when we give and invest, lives are changed for the kingdom of God. Even next week, seven more people are going to join our church as members. We're getting people baptized each week. In fact, we're going to have a baptism in just a short minute. And I want to tell you something. God, when you give here at the church or you give to other causes, God's at work. And he's going to change your life as he's changing the lives of others. But you, when you invest, you're investing in the kingdom of God and your interests will accrue to a limit that you won't, you can't even say or imagine. But God has called each one of us to do that. Randy Alcorn and his ministry called Eternal Perspective Ministries, there is 40 questions you would ask to God. Well, the 40th question is this, and it's in a form of a prayer. He said, five minutes after I die, what will I wish I would have given away while I still had the chance? Help me spend the rest of my life closing the gap between what I'd wish I'd given then and what I actually am giving now. Empower me, Lord, to help others to do the same. Would you, for your eternal glory, would you, Lord, for your eternal glory, do that? Money is used for a purpose. God is intending to do that. I want you to do an exercise this week. Those are on Facebook as well. I want you to do an exercise this week. I want you to look at your checkbook. I want you to look at your bills. I want, to look at, I want you to look at your spending. And I want you to see the percentage of what you give, whether it be the church or to other causes, and what you're doing for yourself. This is an individual assessment. I'm not over looking over your shoulder. God is, but I'm not. God is seeing it. But I want to challenge you, if you're a child of God, challenge you to start looking at your life as I look at mine. I'm doing that this week and determine because we can never outgive God. There's no limit. You can't say, oh, I've given enough to the church. I'm giving enough to God. There's no limit. God is limitless. He's the infinitude of God. He is limitless. And so God never puts a limit on anything. And guess what? When you outgive God, you can't because he'll keep giving back to you to give more. See, the purpose isn't for you to give so you can get more and get material blessings. The purpose of you giving is so that you can give more to give more. 
God has given us money to give, money to give, money to give. That's what he's calling us to do. If you don't like what I'm saying, then look to the scriptures because God's going to tell you through the power of the Holy Spirit the very same thing. It's time for us to say, look at our finances and determine, are we bought with a price and then do something about it? That's what God's calling us to do. So I challenge you to rethink, reassess your life. Because you have to answer to God. I have to answer to God. I stand before the throne as you will too. Holding accountable. If I had five minutes after I die, what have I regretted? I want to challenge you today to evaluate. Because I can assure you, when you and I are benefiting others besides ourselves, or being rich in good works, or sharing and being generous, God will bless you. He promises that in his word. Let me give you just an opportunity to assess as we pray and ask God to do a work in your heart. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just take a moment and pray and ask God to change our mentality in our hearts. God, in these moments now, we ask that you would change our mentality to treasure what is yours, to be managers of your money not thinking it's ours. God, please help us. We all need help in that area. Thank you for challenging us. It's so important as we look to you today. God, as we transition into a baptism, may I pray that you will be glorified in this life that's been changed because each one of us that has been giving generously to your ministry is part of this life that's been changed. And we're so excited that this baptism will be an example of obedience on both parts, on our part to give, and obedience on Mike Heiser's life to trust you, to make it pro publicly proclaimed of your goodness and salvation in his life. In Jesus' name, amen.